Founders is offering a low-rate mortgage with up to $4,000 in closing costs to full-time hospital employees. Honoring your frontline efforts against COVID-19. With no PMI, no origination fee, and no limit on the loan amount, you can't go wrong. Visit founders.com slash HEC and apply for your hospital employee choice mortgage today. Membership qualification required. Terms and conditions apply. Institution NMLS identifier number 410646. Founders is an equal housing lender and is federally insured by the NCUA. And now for an inside look at college sports with the men in the know, J.C. and Morgan. Here's Mike Morgan and J.C. Sherbert. Happy 2021, everybody, and happy end to a memorable and historic college football season. We welcome you aboard. He is J.C. Sherbert of 24-7 Sports, thebigspur.com, part-time Lulu Melon model. We understand all these things, bring, pay, bring home the bacon, pay the bills, uh, we all have to do what we have to do with our side hustle. I'm working ESPN, SEC Network, and you don't even want to know what I'm doing on the side. It's it's just uh, it's treacherous stuff for once you go down that dark path, JC. Um, I, I hate to start off any podcast with an apology, but we, we, we have to offer a little bit of an apology. Nobody's fault, but sometimes technical uh, gremlins get through. Uh, we had a podcast for you last week, which was uh, right after the semifinals. And kind of breaking that down and, and talked about the coaching hires and whatnot. And for various reasons, it, it didn't go through, but that's okay because we're just going to double back on some of those things. And yeah. now we have the national championship game and the end of 2020, 2021, as we know it in terms of college football. Um, first off, JC, fresh off a, a, a trip to Mickey. How you feeling? Uh, you're you're back in the cold, but you you got you got a little color to your face. I see. Yeah, feeling good. Actually, it's uh, interesting to go to Walt Disney World uh, with uh, you know a couple of kid, a couple of uh, preteens in tow, um, and during COVID. And uh, I have to say, Mike, that uh, and I know you're in the interest of disclosure. You're an employee of the Walt Disney Company. <laughs> Uh, but I, I do think that they do a fantastic job down there of, you know, keeping people safe and masks socially distanced uh, while still maintaining, you know, kind of what it's all about. I mean, there are a few hiccups here and there because there, there's just some parts of it that are impossible to replicate when you're standing six feet apart. But, man, they got a lot of new attractions and, uh, you know, my feet hurt as they always do after I go to Disney. But uh other than that, it was actually uh, a refreshing trip. If 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 that could, if that makes any sense at all, because I, I know there's probably moms and dads out there screaming into the speaker, going, "That's not relaxing at all." Um, but uh, it was for me, and I came back re- refreshed and rejuvenated. Had a chance to watch the game last night down there, and flew back today. And the cold doesn't seem as cold uh, here in Chicago uh, as it normally does. I got kind of a smile on my face and in my heart after that trip. There you go. That's what I like to hear. You're refreshed. Uh, I uh, I feel refreshed. I don't know. I, I mean, it, it, I, I, I go straight from football and take a, a full dive into basketball, which has been just as uh, interesting, if not more so than football in terms of the logistics of everything for all of us. And yes, you've got a number of games that have been canceled and postponed and we're kind of off to the same bumpy start in basketball as we were in football. We can only just hope that 
just like in football, eventually things um, kind of flatline in terms of the uh, the drama meter. But uh, I don't know. As I'm watching the game last night, um, a lot of different emotions are going through me. First off, you know, like everybody, we were all asked to make predictions like live on the air during um, our basketball broadcast. We had an Alabama pennant and an Ohio State pennant, and we were – literally put on the spot. Uh, I haven't had uh, that type of uh, pressure since filling out my Heisman ballot this year, but uh, I I was on the record for for saying Alabama. I did think it would be a closer game than it was. Uh, Certainly thought it would be high scoring and it was. Um, And the the game itself, look, it was over at halftime. I, I, I thought college football needed, deserved, and if, if you believe in fate, I thought it was going to happen. We were just going to have this magical type game, this 2005 Southern Cal, Texas game with a Vince Young moment, except maybe it'd be Devontae Smith or maybe it'd be Justin Fields. But we didn't get anything like that. Um, Ohio State's an interesting story. It's a 30 for 30 in itself, the way they even got to this point. But as good as they looked against Clemson, they didn't look bad. I mean, don't don't tell me that they're too, they're too slow or this is like the thick ankle Ohio State teams that couldn't run with an SEC team that we you know we solved that back in the day and that was the old argument. Um, but that 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 wasn't the case. I mean, they've got athletes and they got speed and they got and Justin Fields is probably going to be a top ten pick and that's the same offensive and defensive lines that completely mauled Clemson and we know Clemson can can play with Alabama because they've beaten them. Um, uh, but they were just, I, I don't know of anybody that was going to beat Alabama this year. Uh, I, I just, I, I don't see it. Uh, I didn't see it going in and, and more convinced that we, we witnessed one of the best football teams in the history of college football. And I hate to say that because it sounds so prisoner of the moment. I know, but look at it. And, and JC, I know you haven't been in the national recruiting game in a while, but that 2000, correct me if my year is wrong, 17 recruiting class that so many of those key players for Alabama uh, are on uh, are from, that's going to go down in the annals of one of the greatest classes of all time. And what's interesting about that, Mac Jones, of course, was not a, a high star recruit. Now, he wasn't Kyle Trask, just completely off the radar as a backup in high school, but he was incredibly skinny. And he looked like he was 12 years old coming out of high school at Jacksonville Bowls. And you combine him with all the actual five-star can't-miss kids, and they all were shining last night in that game. Absolutely. I mean, you're talking about a class, too. Uh, uh, Najee, Najee Harris, obviously. I think, I think Mike, you, know, you watched him play last night. Ohio State came prepared to play defense, okay, and you're watching Ohio State, and they're in position. And Harris, when he, when he would get the ball, just kind of showed. And he talked about this in the post game too, why he was the number one back in the country, and why for years everybody's been saying, ah, you know, he's pretty good. But and why it was smart for him to come back. I mean, I think he made himself a couple million dollars last night because oh, yeah. Ohio State was in position. Ohio State was playing good defense. Um, and, and just to talk about the class real quick. You had Harris, you had Alex Leatherwood, you had Dylan Moses, you had even guys that have gone already like Jerry Judy. 
Uh, Tua Tagovailoa was in that 2017 class. Jedrick Wills was in that 17 class. Devontae Smith. So, you know, you got the Heisman winner was in that 17 class. He, he wasn't even a five-star. Uh, Henry Ruggs was in that class. I mean, you know, you go on down the list and it's like, it's wow. You know, look at all these guys. I mean, they, they, you know, they, uh, they, they really – Knocked it out of the park, uh, I think, with a lot of these guys. You look way down at the end, and there's old Mac. There's Mac Jones. There's Mac Jones. Uh, oh, by the uh, way, who they, you know, how good of an evaluator is Mike Mark Stoops and those guys that Kentucky had him committed um, for a while until he Kentucky that. seems like the school that if they could have had those kids yeah. stay, those quarterbacks stay, mm-hmm. like Kentucky was. The, the the always the bridesmaid, never the bride in terms of hotshot quarterbacks that could have gone to Lexington but didn't wind up landing there. Yeah, I mean, and, and yeah, it, it's it's got to stink really bad if you're Kentucky. But I, look, I, I look at it back to the game, you know, and Harris and his performance. You know, I thought Ohio State came prepared on defense. I thought they were in good position. Bama was just better. Harris and most of his yards came because Harris made them. Uh, and Bama's got one of the best offensive lines in the country. The other part of it is, you know, people talk about play calling all the time, Mike. Uh, and I've kind of thought Sark has been in a zone calling plays this year. Um, just a really good, big, big time zone. Well, part of good play calling, if people don't understand this, is getting the ball to your playmakers. If you have playmakers – get the ball in their hands, and oh boy, did he ever. Hmm. And, and you look at some of those calls they made. I mean, Ohio State could literally do nothing. Um, you know, people were grumbling, and I saw some Buckeyes grumbling about their defense. Oh, how could you leave them that wide open? Well, when the play is designed and you got Smith coming in motion left to right on your screen or top to bottom on your screen, the ball snapped, then all of a sudden he just turns around and goes the other way and runs a, a wheel route. How are you supposed to diagnose that? Because everything tells you to follow the motion, okay? A defense is following the motion. Just a brilliant, brilliant, brilliant play design by Sark. I thought Ohio State played well. I thought Ohio State did play fast. Um, Sermon going out probably did hurt them a little bit, but they still have backs – uh, I thought when it was 21-14 and they had to kick the field goal and they weren't matching touchdown for touchdown, although that was the turning point in the game because Bama goes right back down and scores and then goes right back down and scores again, and, and that's the ball game. Some signs of life when it was 38-24, Justin Fields led a 75-yard drive in three plays, uh, and then all of a sudden you look right back up and, and there's Bama scoring again, and, and that's pretty much over. So, you know, I, I think uh, – Seriously, I think uh, I think that that's what we take away from this year is, and again, there's another cliche because we said it last year with LSU. Uh, was this the best team in the history of college football because of the margins of victory and all that? And, you know, I think there was some debate to be had about that last year. Uh, this year, though, I mean, LSU didn't play 10 conference games or 11 SEC opponents. Right. And then – plow through the playoffs like they were nothing uh so i don't know debating 2019 lsu and 2020 bama will be uh something that people talk about for years uh but but you know you can't take anything away from how this bama team performed you know and and i knew it in the preseason mike i felt like i said look these guys have everybody back except tua uh but we saw what jones could do if he can get a little bit better and distribute the ball to these receivers, 
Uh, and then they have Harris back and they have a good O-line and they, they're going to be better on defense. I was like, they haven't had the opt-outs that these other schools have had. Bama didn't have a lot of opt-outs. They kept everybody together. And I was like, man, if there's a team equipped to go through an all-SEC schedule and win a national championship, uh, it's this group because, you know, they, they, they were together from start to finish. Uh, I think it's quite an accomplishment. Uh, and probably Nick Saban, I would say, probably his best coaching job, in my opinion, just because of the pitfalls you have to deal with with COVID and, you know, the the all-SEC schedule and all that and keeping that group focused that entire time because you know, they never liked focus. They had, they had a, a close game, I guess, against Florida. But um, they, 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 and they went start to finish, wire to wire. So hats off to Alabama. Uh, I know they've won a lot of championships. People are tired of talking about them. But this was – if you love sports, you love college football, you have to tip your hat to them because it was an impressive, impressive feat. Yeah, I mean, I think we hit on most of the – you know, strategic aspects of the game. I, I, I thought there, I mean, two plays stood out to me to go back to Sark was in the zone. And and if you were a Texas fan, you were getting excited about one thing for sure. That man knows offense and don't buy into what, what you heard people say, well, when he went to the Falcons, it didn't work. The Falcons haven't been working for a while. That's not at all on Sark. Um, there's no doubting he can call some plays. He is a terrific play caller has been for a while when you get the Heisman Trophy winner that everybody knows is the best pure athlete on the field and the hardest wide receiver to cover on the field, and you get him matched up on a linebacker, that's that's not that's play calling. Like that's to be able to do that. Obviously, the Ohio State defensive staff they didn't plan on that. They didn't gamble and say, you know, let's just see if we can sneak a couple plays here where we put a linebacker on Devontae Adams. Maybe nobody will notice. No, I mean, it, it, <laughs> they, they set that up in a certain way and, and they have receivers going in motion in a certain way and the routes are configured in a certain way where you get that matchup. There's another – that was on the deep touchdown. It was at Borland. I mean, mm. Borland probably runs a four eight. He looked like yeah. he was running an eight two, trying to keep up with Devontae, just streaking down the middle of the field. Then there's another one where Devontae goes left of the formation, right of the formation, left of the formation, right of the formation. The corner that's supposed to cover him can't keep going back and forth <laughs> and keep up. And so it just sets up an easy little touchdown throw at about 10 yards. Like that doesn't seem like much. But that is from your play caller. It was, like that, yeah. It, it, yeah. And so Alabama just has the best of everything, right? I mean, you've got the best college football coach of all time. He usually gets very good coordinators. That couple didn't work out too well, but even still, uh, he's able to overcome that. But he also was able to attract very good coordinators because they know it's going to augment their status to become a head coach elsewhere. Hence, how many guys have gone on to become head coaches. Uh, and, and then you've got these analysts, which we, we talked about, uh, that a lot of people have raised an eyebrow or two about that. And that all came from, again, when, when basketball coaches were suing about the restricted earnings rule. And then all of a sudden, they went in court and football says, OK, you can't stop us. We're going to have, quote unquote, analysts. Now, those guys aren't supposed to be breaking down tape and coming up with stuff, but who the hell knows? You, we're not going to monitor all that. Uh, Big Brother's not watching everything now. So you've got the analysts, you've got the coordinators, you've got the, the the best coach 
of all time. You've got five stars all over the place, maybe the best recruiting class of all time. People talk about Mac Jones like he is just some game manager. That is complete hogwash. That kid's going to be a first-round draft pick. He's accurate on almost every ball he throws, and he rarely makes a mistake. Like, that's not that's not on accident. <laughs> and then we always, we, you know, defensively, remember all the things that Ohio State did well against Clemson? Remember Justin Fields, how good he looked? It came crashing down to earth. And I said – I, I was on one of the shows uh, leading up to the game, and I said, well, here, there's one name that you're not going to know very well, uh, and, and that's this is why Alabama's going to win it, and that's Charlie Scott. And Charlie Scott is the punter for Alabama. And he wound up punting twice in the game, although I think at least one of those, if not both of those, when the game was already out of hand. Alabama basically never punts. They just score touchdowns on every single drive, and they've been doing that the entire season. So uh, kudos, tip your hat, uh, roll tide, blah, 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 blah. It's the sixth national title in 12 years. I don't think we're ever going to see this again. I just, I just don't. I mean, we're watching, we're, we're watching history before. And yeah, I know then they're not done. I get it. <laughs> <laughs> Nick doesn't look like he's lost the zest for it. He already got the NFL, uh, uh, you know, yearning out of his blood. He's not going anywhere. So yeah, as long as he's there, this isn't changing. My, my final thoughts on the season as a whole, and then we can break down some other stuff that that's going on. Uh, in college football, and it's going to be another memorable offseason, hopefully not for the same reasons this past one was. But my my final thoughts were, you know, was this a great game? No. Um, I watch every national championship game. I watched every BCS championship game. I watched every Bowl Coalition, Bowl Alliance championship game, and I used to watch games when we had no system whatsoever and we arbitrarily voted for a mythical national championship. Um, so I watched it. And I'm not going to, and, and was it a great game? No. Was it a great season? No, it was insanely predictable. Like we thought it would be COVID or no COVID. Uh, it's the same teams and, and it's predictable. Uh, was there anything ideal about it? Remember I started using that word all the way back in April. No, there's nothing ideal about anything going on in sports right now. We're in a very complicated time. Uh, all that being said, don't get it twisted. Did I love every minute of this season? You bet your ass I did. You bet your ass I did. I, I can't imagine this fall if we didn't have football. And you can say, well, that's just a superficial, shallow guy who doesn't really know how to put life in perspective. <laughs> the hell with you. It was important. <laughs> exactly. it, it was really important. Uh, and I say that as someone who really, once I got into this business, my days of really rooting for a particular school or team kind of over. But but I love Saturdays. It, it, it was a it's always good, but it was a really needed distraction this year. And I would just say this um, and, and I'm not going to mention names and I'm not going to be um, I'm not going to use pejoratives to describe these people. But for those of you who continually spewed your anti-season venom mm. that started in April continued through the summer. Uh, you went on every talk show. You went on Paul Feinbaum to say it wasn't going to happen and that it shouldn't happen. You wrote articles saying this is ridiculous. It shouldn't happen. 
In some cases, you couldn't help but let your politics bleed into everything you wrote and every thought that uh, you uttered, any, any phrase or, or opinion you had that left your lips, you couldn't help to have it marinated in overly political stuff when we really didn't need politics during all this. And then that, that for that, for those of you that did that and came around, I forgive you. <laughs> for those of you who then doubled down the last few days and, and came up with phrases like, was it really worth it? Um, you can go kick rocks. Uh, you like, you think you sound like the smartest guy in the room when you say stuff like that, when you write stuff like that. You really don't. It accomplishes nothing. Nothing. But go ahead. Keep doing what you do. Uh, one or two of you are just you're just like a, a like a tick on a dog. You're just you're just annoying on purpose and you're easy to ignore. Some people that are very intelligent and who I have respected for the years, I, I honestly, I came away with a different opinion um, of how they cover the sport, which is you and I have documented several times, JC, whether it was during COVID or pre-COVID or now post-COVID, everything that they think of, every thought, every article they write, every show, it's all through the prism of college athletics is a bad, bad deal. And these college athletes are just getting completely screwed. And the whole system is purely unethical. It's evil. It's this and that. You know what? At least now you've been exposed. That's how you see it. And that's your number one priority. You're not looking for feel-good stories. You're not, you're not as interested in the love of the sport, even though it employs you and pays your salary, as you are in getting those thoughts across in virtually everything that you put out there in the universe. So that's all I'm going to say about that. And I'm going to close the book on that for the rest of 2021, or at least I'm going to do my best. Yeah, that's called an agenda. Uh, you know, an, an interesting topic, though, Mike, you know, beyond all that, because I, I couldn't have said it better than what you said. Uh, there were some fans complaining. Now, now there's been some complaints about in the playoff era uh, about the, all the focus is on the playoff. Even Nick Saban said it. Well, all the focus is on the playoff. Nobody cares about the Bulls. We have bowl opt-outs, things like that. Um, and, I, and I heard some complaints after the other night, like, okay, well, this is just bad for the sport because there's all these blowouts and champ- there's a blowout in a championship game. Um, and I wanted to point this out because I did, I did some research on it. Blowouts in championship games in college football are not they're, – they're really the norm, if you think about it. I'm going to take you back to the BCS, Okay. BCS started in 1998. That's when we started having true championship games, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and so of those 23, only nine of them have been played within single digits. Nine. So 14 have been double digit or higher. Of those nine, like I'm not including Tennessee beating Florida State by a touchdown in 98 because Tennessee had that game well in hand. I think it was 23 to nine and FSU cut it late. There was nothing classic about that one. Uh, I'm not counting uh, LSU beating Oklahoma 21, 14 in 03 LSU had that game well in hand. I'm not counting Clemson scoring a garbage touchdown in 15 and cutting the Bama game to five. I don't think that was a classic. So of those nine, we've really had six classics. Okay. Six that you would say, man, 
barn burner. That's what the sport's all about. You know, you've had games like Oklahoma beating FSU 13 to two in 2000. You've had games like, uh, Bama's 21 nothing win over LSU in 11, which everybody was griping how boring that game was. Uh, Ohio State rolling over Oregon. Uh, you know, the last three years have been ugly. Clemson 44-16, LSU 42-25, Bama 52-24. There are very few Tua to Smith moments. You know, not every game is like the, the, the last BCS game with Auburn and Florida State, which was a classic. Um, I think it's just college football, you know, and, and, and we, we look at the sport. And it's kind of like the Super the Super Bowl, man. If we get a barn burner Super Bowl, isn't that everybody's fired up about that because it's, it's yeah. rare. Uh, yeah. So it may just be football in general. You know, these championship games, you know, aren't always uh, going to be close and, and things like that. Uh, it's, it's a great point. Um, you know, I, Southern Cal, Texas in 05, like wow. that's the yeah. one that the neon lights to me that stands out. And yeah, we've had some good ones since then, but, but very few great ones. Um, there's a lot of different arguments going on at the same time. And so often when that happens, the, the, the actual point gets lost for some people. So everything you said is accurate and it has been accurate and it, and it goes back to well before the playoffs started. Mm. Um, hell, I mean, you could make the argument college football has been the least in terms of champions and powerhouses, the least diverse sport that we have college or pro, right? I mean, you got, you got the great Notre Dame teams. You got the bear Bryant teams. You got the Southern Cal era under McKay and Robinson. Um, you know, you, you've got the, the night team of the nineties, I think undoubtedly was Florida state. I mean, but, but there's, we don't have the variety that you do. We don't have the variety pack that a lot of other uh, sports have. And you you can argue if that's good or not. I've always said like a dynasty is good, but I don't know if six out of 12 is good. (laughs) Um, And and for that matter, uh, you know, I, I, I love the Southeastern conference. I make no apologies for that. But is it great for the sport when the SEC wins an 11th title in 15 years? And the only other times that the only other schools to crash the party were Ohio State, FSU, and Clemson twice. So, unless you, Clemson now is almost reaching blue blood status for a lot of folks, FSU's been there, Ohio State's really been there, and Alabama's been there forever. Um, so, we don't have, a, we, again, we don't have a lot of variety. That's just not. That's not, but we've always, that's always been the case. And, and somehow people again have made it, they, they, they all of a sudden they've been convinced that this only started when the playoffs started and furthermore to pile incorrect information and data on top of incorrect information and data. They've been convinced that if we didn't have a playoff and we went back to the BCS, I mean, I've literally seen people write, we should return to the BCS. Do you understand Alabama would be in the BCS championship game almost every, every one year. of these years? I mean, with limited exceptions. The one exception would be when they got in there and the Joel Klatts of the world went eight bonkers and said they don't deserve to get in. They didn't even win their division. And they went ahead and won the national title in a 14 playoff. Um, so 
BCS, Bowl Alliance, Bowl Coalition, AP, UPI, or 14 playoff or 18 playoff, which I hope we get to, you're still going to have Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State, um, Oklahoma. One other SEC school will peak every now and then. Last year was LSU. It's been Auburn at times. It's been Georgia at times. It's been Florida at times. But no system is going to change this. It, it, it's just I, I. It's just not certainly the BCS is it? I mean, what, what rationale? What logic is behind that? That is so utterly flawed. Now you can make the Rick Neuheisel argument, and I've said this many times. I respect uh, his thoughts on the show, a full ride on satellite radio. Cause it's, if you're, if you're like many people out there, you struggle to get good college football talk on local sports talk radio. And this is from two guys who did it. And uh, mm-hmm. in, in my case for 15 years and multiple markets. And, and I understand college football fans are greatly underserved. There are some people out there that simply don't know it. And they'd rather talk, argue LeBron James or Michael Jordan for 12 hours. <laughs> um but Rick Neuheisel's point is, and I, I, I do agree with him. You know, he's always got the little guy in mind. He says, if we expand the playoff, then you can recruit better to these other schools because you can sell your, your, the, the five star out there that's not going to your school. Hey, uh, we might not be Alabama anytime soon, but we're going to get you to the playoff. You come here, we're, we're, we're going to get to an 18 playoff. I can tell you that. I don't argue with that necessarily. Um, but look, I don't see the diversity of teams winning this thing anytime soon. We're on the same handful, half dozen teams, and every now and then there's an outlier, and then we go back to the same handful, half a dozen teams. And I, I just think that's where we are. We could just make the best of it and, and do – and I think college football is heading that way. And I, I would be shocked if this is a four-team playoff during the next contract, during the next cycle, if you will but I don't know what else we can do. Uh, yeah. I, I, you know, and, and the blue bloods are always a couple of moves away from getting back, you know? Right. And look, tell me, tell me a school. Okay. So, so there's two schools really, Mike, that have gone in the past 30 years from the, that next tier uh, up to the championship level tier. Um, and, and Clemson is one. Uh, but Clemson was more like a, a program that had arrived in the eighties. that got lost in the wilderness during the nineties and two thousands, like for 20 years, they were in the wilderness. And then Dabo Sweeney brought them back um, and turned them into what they are today. Uh, the other one was Oregon and, and Oregon has been a slow build since the seventies. Rich Brooks stayed there 20 years, went three and eight a lot. <laughs> and finally got into the Rose Bowl before he handed it off to Mike Bellotti, who handed it off to Chip Kelly, who handed, you know, who handed it off to Mark Helfrich. And, you know, now you have Cristobal and Oregon has arrived. Other than that, you know, I'm looking back through these BCS results and the championship game results. Who, who, who else is really that you wouldn't consider a Virginia Tech in 1999 would Michael Vick play? Mike Vick, a once-in-a-generation type yeah. player. Yeah, I mean, Tennessee won it in 98, but they were a great powerhouse in the 1990s. You, right. you almost felt inevitable that the Vols would eventually win it if they could get past Florida. Yeah, most of um, us thought it would happen a year or two earlier with Peyton. Peyton Manning, yeah. Past Florida. I mean, you know, LSU under Saban kind of we, – we've always known LSU. Now LSU was – 
sort of like Clemson in the wilderness for a while. But I mean, I, you know, I, I just don't see who it, it, besides Oregon, Clemson, uh, maybe LSU when you talk about when Saban came because they were kind of off. I mean, where, 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 is, where is all this upward mobility coming from? I mean, there, there's no, there's a, there's a, and I hate to use it because it's, it's been thrown around in political terms. There's a glass ceiling in college mm-hmm. football that yeah. a lot of programs can't break through. I mean, Auburn maybe is a team that, that you talk about it, but you, you know, if Auburn had been on probation in, in 1994 or three, 93, uh, under Terry Bowden, uh, they would have they would have probably won it all. And then yeah, they were twenty one and one those two years. Yeah. Terry and they were <laughs> And then in 04, you know, they went undefeated and didn't get the bid. Oklahoma got the bid to the BCS title game and got mm-hmm. just shellacked 55-19 by Southern Cal. So so that Auburn team with Cadillac and Ronnie Brown may have given Southern Cal a better game. I don't know that they would have and or Jason not. Campbell. And they have uh, four yeah. first-round draft picks on that Auburn team that goes undefeated in the SEC. Undefeated. Can you imagine that happening today? Oh, it would never happen. <laughs> I mean, so, so so it's not like Auburn's never been there, you know. And and I, I it's, it's just tough. I mean, I, so if you're a program out there that has aspirations to get to this level – I mean, you know, you kind of feel a little overwhelmed. I mean, it's like, because what do, you, what do you do? What do you do? Because the minute you start climbing, too, that's when one of these teams like Miami, like, like you know, I look at North Carolina under Mac Brown. They've recruited well. They had a really good season. Uh, I think they've got a lot of good players coming. I think they've got good coaches. They're in a division that you should have upward mobility in, not, not a lot of resistance. But you watch. You watch. The minute we start talking North Carolina and Sam Howell and the Tar Heels going to the playoff, that's when Miami is going to resurrect. That, that's when De'Aaron <laughs> King coming back next year. The U will finally be back and knock them off. That's just that's just kind of the cruel fate of college football. That's just kind of how it goes. And I should have mentioned when I was rattling off the the great runs uh, of our lifetime, obviously the Miami years. Uh, yeah. the, the thing is that's not associated with one coach. You had Schnellenberger win one title – uh Johnson believe it or not only won one most people think he's the guy that won multiple it was Dennis Erickson who won two Dennis, Dennis Erickson came in there and took <laughs> over for Jimmy Johnson and killed it yeah yeah who was I mean quite frankly who was of the three coaches I would have ranked third I mean I think I think Schnellenberger was outstanding and built Miami out of smithereens where you know the only way you get people to show up at the Orange Bowl was to buy a Whopper at Burger King and get a free ticket to admission that's literally where Miami football was. And then Jimmy Johnson took it and just slayed the dragon and got every top kid and in, in uh, Palm Beach, Broward and Dade County. And, and then the occasional guy from out West, and that's all they needed to dominate uh, for a while. And, and then came Dennis and then, you know, probation and this and that. I mean, they, well, there's a whole thing. There's, there's a 30 for 30. On there. You, take a, you take a powerhouse and you blow it up and, and ruin it for, for the last few decades, that and some questionable coaching hires, et cetera, et cetera. But no, you're absolutely right. I mean, it's, I, I think there is a glass ceiling. And what I would tell college football, cause I don't, I don't want this to come across as Debbie Downer. I, like I told you at, at the top, right. Was it a great game? No. Was it a great season? No. Um, did I love every minute of it? You yes. bet. I, I did. And we always do. I look at it. You, you almost have to look at college football 
the way college basketball fans look at things. And I realize, unfortunately, there are no Butler stories in in college football. Heck, there's not even a Virginia type story winning a national championship. Uh, there's no George Mason in college football. We're, we're, we're just not going to have that. Uh, JC and I are on record for years now. There needs to be a group five playoff. Mm-hmm. And, and that is this, uh, part and parcel to my larger point. And that is in college basketball, well, you covered the South Carolina team not long ago that went to the final four. Now, South Carolina, for those that don't know, in basketball, uh, there's some tradition, but there's not, there's not a whole lot of banners there, right? I mean, <laughs> they had never won a national title. They'd never been to a final four. They went since Richard Nixon to that year, uh, four years ago or so, for, of never even winning an NCAA tournament game, right? But they didn't win at all, but they went to the final four. And damn it, that matters. That is a banner. That is a memory that's never going to leave you. Uh, if you it, it, So for any power five school, power six, whatever, you go to the final four. You don't sit there and focus on, well, we lost in the semis. No, 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 no. You made it to the final freaking four. If you're a mid-major and you pull off two upsets to get to the Sweet 16, you don't sit there and hang your head in agony that you didn't make it to the Elite Eight. No, 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 no. You will always remember the year that you made it to the Sweet freaking 16 with an enrollment of 6,000 fans and students and, and, and you're bussing 12 hours to schools and you don't have much money, and, but you made it to the Sweet 16. For college football, when we get to a bigger playoff, just to say you got there for some schools should be a huge deal. Just to say you won your conference should be a huge deal. And for the group five schools, you will actually have a chance to compete to win a national champion uh, championship in that classification. But it ain't happening in power five playoff setups, whether it's four, whether it's eight. And in our lifetime, it's not going to 16. So you can put that thing to rest. It's just not. You saw how long it took to get to four. You see the resistance to go to six or eight. You think you're going to 16 in the next 20 years? Ain't happening. But the smarter thing to do, rather than keep fighting that and throwing your, uh, banging your head against the wall, would be to adapt. And to adapt would be to have a group five playoff. And then the other, if, if you're the other schools and you're sitting there and you're fighting for all these things, but you know you're never going to be Alabama, Ohio State, uh, Clemson now, uh, Oklahoma, then then fight like hell to get the playoff expanded to where you can be a part of that. And, and that's that's the way I look at it. I mean, that's that's going to be a, a way to make more and more people happy and satisfied with their overall program. You're not going to be pleased with seeing the same five schools winning the national championship every year, but with, with few deviations, I don't see that changing a whole lot in the near future. Yeah, I'm with you there. And I think that that's the thing you got to adapt and, and do something, uh, you know, and I, and I think too, you know, you start talking about an 18 playoff, you know, and I'm assuming you would have automatic qualifiers from, 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 power five conference. And I think, and I, and I think they do. A lot of people say no, no automatic qualifiers. Oh, that power guarantee five. you that will be part of that, that, that conference. I, I would, because, because then, okay. So when you talk about conference champions, the last few years, 
you know, you basically Oklahoma wins every year, Ohio State wins every year, Clemson wins every year, Bama wins most years. Um, but you talk about access to more programs, more programs feeling like they have a shot to play themselves into a title, okay? Well, you expand that to division winners, Mike, all of a sudden you're talking about Northwestern, you're talking about Virginia, you're talking about Pittsburgh, uh, you're talking about um, in the SEC, Missouri, uh, you know, you're, you're talking about, uh, you know, schools that, you know, like Florida, you know, nobody, Florida hadn't even taught been, you know, the playoff has been not really since we've had the playoff, something that's been talked about in Gainesville a whole lot, you know, uh, Baylor, TCU, uh, Texas, uh, out in the pac 12, Colorado, uh, Utah, and so when you start talking about automatic qualifiers, I think that expands the net quite a bit because of the divisions that we, the division system that we have now, would they maybe do away with that or whatever? I don't know, but, but I think that gives it more of a feel of, okay, you've got a shot to get into the playoff. Even if you're an eight and four division winner, if you go knock off Ohio state in Indianapolis, and if you do more power to you, you get to go, you know, see if your Cinderella story continues. To me, that would create more intriguing storylines. And, and it also, you know, separating the group of five, I think makes that more feasible because then if you happen to have a powerhouse team that's been number one all year that just stubs their toe in the championship game, kind of like Kansas State did a few years ago against Texas A&M in the Big 12 title game, and K-State ended up in the Alamo Bowl because of it. Mm-hmm. You know, you're not going to have that team that's had that great season fall completely out because you got to go put the Mountain West champion in as the eighth seed. Um, and, and so I, I think that, that those are the types of adaptations I would like to see is it opens up access a little more. We're still probably going to have the same results, but at least there's a chance. You know, at least these guys are out there going, well, heck, you know, we we won our division and, you know, we had a shot had we won this, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I, I I'm with you. And I, I think that I think eventually logic prevails, but it just takes a longer time in college football than seemingly anything else. It it just does. Um, I mean, this, this among all years would have been a perfect way that you could have uh, done a test balloon of, uh, of an 18 playoff. And, and, and you, you could have easily justified going back to, Hey, the contract says four, so we got to go back to four. Uh, they didn't, I don't think that thought even crossed anybody's mind. I, I, I think they're hell bent on, on going with four the rest of the way until we've got, this is seven years in of a 12 year deal. So we got five more years in all likelihood of a 14 playoff. That doesn't mean the group five schools have to wait five years to start their own playoff. They can do it tomorrow, and it, it and TV networks like an ESPN, like a Fox, will be right at the front door with a big check, um, because quite frankly, people would rather watch that than the Duke's Mayo Bowl. Uh, and there's so many of these bowl games out there, that, and you'd have less opt-outs, and you'd have, there'd be more uh, going for it. In fact, I mean that's that's the thing about those schools. The fewer the NFL first round picks that you have on your roster, the more motivation it is for those young men to play. Um, so that is another positive of having that. Again, I think it's going to happen. It's just a matter of time uh, when it when it does. Uh, so what else do we take from 2020? Uh, you know, 
I, again, I think we learned about the chaos that is college football. There's no organization. I mean, we had so many great guests on, uh, you know, from Tim Brando to the Andy Staples of the world to, you know, guys uh, on, on the networks like Cole Kubelik, et cetera. I mean, just, just go on and on and on. And what, what you all, what you, what everybody agrees on is that when you look at the infrastructure of college football, it is as good as it is. It, it is so disorganized at the top because there is no one person ruling on anything. You've got the five families and those five families run things. And then you can't even get the five families to agree. You've got a, a Kevin Warren out there who, who wants to be the smartest guy in the room and, and convince everybody else to go along. And thankfully for college football, thankfully for the Big Ten, thankfully for Ohio State, uh, eventually wisdom prevailed in that one. But at times, college football just seems like a rudderless ship. But again, I, I don't know when that cha- <clears throat> changes either. One of the things is you and I do this throughout the offseason. It's going to be very interesting to keep an eye on is NIL because it is coming down that tunnel like a freight train. And I don't know if it's got any brakes on it. You know, it's you, you've got Congress that's going to be dealing with Mark Emmerich, that's going to be dealing with different state. I mean, just so many things that play there that that's going to be an interesting thing to, to keep an eye on. Um, in terms of, uh, I'm sorry, go ahead. I'm going to talk about the coaches before. Uh, yeah, I was going to mention the NIL thing. The NCAA tabled that right. vote this week, that and the, and the instant transfer rule which is going to be really interesting because, you know, the roster is going to be a big topic this offseason because there have been a lot of transfers, a lot of guys getting the transfer portal that have enrolled at new schools under the assumption that this one-time transfer thing is going to pass. Well, they tabled the vote and they say, well, we hope to do it because that's connected to name image likeness in a way. And and then that they were, they're waiting for the Supreme court to talk about that or whatever. Um, so, so it's going to be really interesting because on top of the free transfer, everybody got a red shirt for COVID in 2020. Yeah. So you're going to have a lot of, inf- I mean, a lot of stuff, you know, and if they don't approve the one year transfer, wow. You know, that you're going to have a train wreck in some situations because some schools mm-hmm. are counting on it. So, you know, that that's going to be really something to, 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 to take, keep an eye on. And I, I think it's, it's going to fundamentally change college football, Mike. And I will tell you this, if it gets too out of hand with the transfers and, and the NIL and all that good stuff, um, I, I think what that may cause, and I'll, this is a good segue into our coaching discussion, uh, is some of these college coaches that are just like, I am a college coach. Uh, I like the college game better. Uh, I think some of these guys are going to take a longer look at the pro jobs because mm-hmm. they just don't want the headache of having to babysit, uh, you know, prima donna players in a lot of instances that are focused on th- that are prima donna players for reasons other than being successful uh, on the football field at that level, you know, because you're 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 going to look into some situations where some recruits are going to be, you know, have demands and 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 the NIL thing is going to take off, and you know these are kids and they're not going to be all that focused on football. And coaches are going to be sort of powerless, uh, and it's going to it's going to wear very very thin uh, if you have to treat college players like pros with kid gloves and all that. 
uh, before they're ever even that good, you know, because it's not, this is not basketball where you can step on the court and Zion Williamson's good from the start dominant, Mm -hmm. you know, football's always, I don't care how good you are. It's developmental. You have to develop in this sport. And, and, and I'm worried that with the way this is going, there's going to be a lot of guys that don't think they have to develop. They can just jump in the transfer portal uh, if their coach doesn't want to play them or whatever uh, and go cash their name image likeness checks or whatever. Uh, and I think some coaches are going to get very, very tired of it very, very quick. There's a lot of them already that are sick of the recruiting thing. And, and so I think that's something to watch is will more college coaches say, I, I know I'm probably more of a college coach rah-rah guy than a pro coach, but I'm just sick of this. And I love football and coaching football. So if the Jaguars call me, I'm gone. You know, that kind of thing. Oh, that's a, I mean, it's a great point. Um, you know, the NFL has different headaches, but but they're almost <laughs> – there's still more adult headaches, if you will. Yeah. You know, you're, you're, you're not, you're not dealing with um, the immaturity. Well, in most cases you're not, I mean, you still have knuckleheads at that level. So there's 32 year old uh, professional athletes that never grow up. We know that, but, sure. but at the, but the college level, at some point it's like, do, do I really need to deal with this? I got this guy demanding. He's, he's telling me he's going to leave because school Y is offering a $50,000 car dealership sponsorship spokesman type deal. And he's only getting 35 signing autographs at the local five guys burger. Like, I, I don't know that that could wear thin <laughs> the hall of fame coach for sure. And I'll remind people because of all the crap that happened about five, 10 years ago with uh, the, I call it the myth of over signing with all the oversigning complaints and people talking about taking scholarships and all that college programs have backed themselves into a corner with this because they've all pledged, Oh, your scholarship's good for four years, regardless. So you can't cut guys anymore. Right. You can't cut them. And it used to be able to, if you had a problem guy, you'd just be like, well, you run them after, off after this, this academic year, we're going to go our separate ways. And, is a toodaloo and, and good luck. But now, no, there are, there's absolutely nothing you can do about it. Right. Unless you know, the guy just leaves, you know. With everything that happened this offseason, um, I've been around enough of these, and I, I, I catch myself using the word kids the older I get, um, but they're, I, they're not kids. I mean, you know, look, when I was in college, I didn't want anybody calling me a kid. I had my stuff together. I'd like, I'd, I'd, I was a young, I was, a, I was a young man. And for the most part, I I'm around a lot of these young men, football, basketball, baseball uh, with my job. Most of them are good. Most of them are good young men. What's happening more than ever now is people are getting in their ears and telling them, Oh man, you're, you're, you're being used, man. You're being punked, man. This is And so it's unfortunate the noise as people call it has is at an all-time level um the noise is what tells a a kid that has no chance of being a first rounder that oh yeah you're gonna be in the top 10 you need to go that's the noise the noise is telling a kid who he just needs to you know sit behind a guy for a year and then he's the man oh no no man you're too good for that and he goes there's so much noise out there and while they are young men, the younger you are, the less you know, and the more influential you are. 
And I'm afraid so much of what you're hearing surrounding college athletes now comes from the noise, mm-hmm. comes from adults that don't have the best interest of the athletes that are playing it. Uh, and that'll continue to play out here throughout uh, this offseason and who knows how many to come. Mm-hmm. All right, I mentioned coaching. Again, we, a lot of this we, t- we touched on, JC, on the the now lost archives. Uh, <laughs> one of these days that that podcast is going to surface and it's going to be worth a lot of money. The lost but recordings. The yeah. lost recordings of Mike and JC. It was a thing of beauty, man. I mean, you don't uh, even know. We broke out into haiku poems. We, we, we be, be a musical. There was some stand-up comedy. There was a lot of stuff going on, but that never saw the light of day. So we're going to have to restep uh, retrace our steps back a little bit on a couple of things. First one being the Auburn hire. I know this is semi old news, but since we haven't had a chance to tackle it and actually it has been updated because now the staff is formulating, including Derek Mason. So you, you've got a, a staff pretty well in place for Brian Harson. Um, I'll just say my two cents. I don't have a ton of thoughts on this other than like I always say, you can, you, there's two things I always say about coaching searches or almost always. Number one, people act like they know what's a good hire and what's not. They don't know what the hell going to, none of us know. It's a crapshoot. It is a crapshoot. Uh, and then secondly, you can, you can, um, you can juxtapose the hire in a positive light or a negative light, depending how you want to. I can, I can give you five reasons why Brian Harson was not a great hire for Auburn and why, you you fire a guy in in Gus Malzahn who had a, a winning percentage of uh, what sixty eight percent I had that written down sixty seven percent you fire a guy with a winning that beat Alabama three times and played for a national time you you do all that to get Brian Harson from Boise State um, Brian he's got no ties to the SEC I mean I can give you a bunch of reasons or I can tell you this is a guy who is an innovator that is a great offensive mind. That'll be a, a fresh voice that'll give you the intangibles that Gus Malzahn and his rather laid back personality never could. So no matter how you want me, if you hire me as your, um, what do you call those people like that, that in politics, not PR people. Com- communications director, director. Yeah. Communications directors. You know, I'm going to, I'm going to start spin doctors spin doctor i can spin it however you want it wasn't that a big band of the 90s the spin if you you want to call me baby just go ahead now that's it whatever happened to them um they had a couple of hits that's it yeah they did i think i saw them uh singing outside the starbucks down the street um Ah. gave a couple couple quarters they were very nice about that but I can spin it any way you want to spin it, man. I can do it. I can tell you it's a great hire. Auburn fans, you this is the difference maker. Or I can tell you this is what you this is what you push this guy out the door for. This is what the, the big money boosters at Auburn wanted. So JC, you take it away. Give me give me your two cents. <laughs> You're two nickels on the hire of Coach Harson. You just don't know. I mean, you're right. I mean, especially nowadays when you have and think about the when these folks were hired, okay? Uh, somebody in 2008 rated the Dabo Sweeney hire a D plus. Right. <laughs> All right. That same person probably had Willie Taggart as an A minus. A minus. Yeah, you know, Ed Orgeron. <laughs> Ed Orgeron, when people laughed at it. The Tom Herman hire was roundly praised. Oh, including that, was us. Like, that was like a 99.9 on the approval uh, rating. Including us. You know, Chip Kelly turns Florida down to go to UCLA. 
Scott Frost turns Florida down to go home to Nebraska, you're like, well, they did turn Florida down, but man, you know, Chip Kelly's going to get UCLA going and Scott Frost is the, you know, Nebraska's very fortunate to get Frost and, and then old Dan Mullen goes to Florida who, who you know, that, that's kind of the backup plan because of the relationship with the AD and of course Dan's relationship with Florida and he's 29 and nine in three years, Right, <laughs> you know, to, to Atlanta and actually has a top 10 recruiting class. Like, I don't know if Scott Frost and Chip Kelly would have done that quite frankly. You just don't know. I mean, you know, it's, so you look around, I mean, like uh, look at the new coaches in the sec this year. Uh, I think we thought, you know, of all the new ones, Mike Leach probably would be the most intriguing. He didn't have a very good season. Uh, I think we thought Lane Kiffin would score points and he did, but who saw Eli Drinkwitz and uh, Sam Pittman having the seasons they did at Missouri and Arkansas. So you just don't know. That being said, I look at the record 69 and 19. I also look at the fact that a lot of these guys that have coached at Boise state, you you maybe could make an argument that Dan Hawkins wasn't all that good at Colorado, but I know Dan Hawkins a little bit and he's a great guy. So (laughs) I'll just, I'll just include him and, you know, Fundamentals, brother. Or no, it's intramurals, brother. It's the Big 12. <laughs> Play intramurals, brother. Uh, so Houston Nutt coached at Boise, and, and he had a great run at Arkansas and really a two-year run at Ole Miss. Dan Hawkins got the Colorado job and had one of the most memorable monologues in a press conference ever. He's replaced by Chris Peterson, who's probably one of the best coaches in college football, uh, I know he hung it up at Washington, but boy, he was winning there, took them to a mm-hmm. playoff. Uh, and then Harson comes from Arkansas State, which is kind of a breadbasket of coaches, which is also where Malzahn came from, mm-hmm. uh, and goes up there, and, and he's a, a Boise guy and went 69 and 19. I mean, they weren't like the story that they normally have been. Like, they didn't have that UCF kind of year where they could falsely claim national titles or anything. But they were really, really good for a long time. Um, so he's a winner. And so then people ask about having a staff. Well, Mike Bobo, one of the greatest play callers in the country, uh, got to see his you know miracle working at South Carolina. There was some controversy about how he left South Carolina, but I'll get into all that on my Gamecock podcast. <laughs> um, you know, Will Friend is a is a veteran SEC coach. Derek Mason, um, and I, and I'll focus on the defense here. I'm very, very intrigued, Mike, to see how Derek Mason can recruit now that he's not at Stanford or Vanderbilt or Cornell or any of these places he's been where if you don't have an SAT, a certain SAT, they can't even look at you. Mm-hmm. I'm very intrigued to see him as a recruiter and because I know he relates to players really well. His players like playing for him. He's a good guy, but Man, the the guy's been at Stanford and Vandy. I mean, that's right. the, you, that's tough tougher to recruit in those two situations than it will be to Auburn. So I'm very intrigued to see, you know, how he uh, gets out on the recruiting trail and works. I I, I think Auburn recruiting wise is going to be fine, and and I think that's part of the reason why you surround yourself with guys like Bobo and Mason. And you might be a little bit higher on those two than I am. I I'm not down on either one of them. I think my Bobo is a solid. Uh, play caller and, and coordinator, but I don't know if he's, you know, a huge difference maker. And I, I, I don't know if he's got the offense that Auburn fans want to see or not. Um, 
And then as far as Derek Mason, you know, Derek Mason, you get in a room with him and you're right. He is likable, man. He's funny. He's engaging. I don't blame everything that went wrong at Vanderbilt on him. We all know that is an incredibly difficult job, although his predecessor did win nine games back-to-back years before he left and James Franklin. Um, they Vanderbilt was really hardly competitive. And, and what, what was troubling to me is the, that at least in the past at Vanderbilt, you'd be like, okay, we, we're not going to get the five-star offensive guys. We'll get some guys that can D up now. And that's what Derek Mason, I think the DNA of that team and that program was supposed to be. But I don't know, going back to Stanford and, and Vanderbilt, has Derek Mason produced championship-level defenses? Uh, that's that's going to be the question mark to me. Like it, everybody's Stan- celebrating. Stanford, yes. But how you bring up a good point about Vandy? Though. Well, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I, I I just I want to see it. Like I I there's gonna you have to remember. Like I mentioned the number. They fired a guy who won sixty-seven percent of his games, beat Alabama three times, uh, went to a national championship game. So they're not they're not bringing in this staff to go into Auburn, Alabama, and go nine and three. They're not. That's why they just fired the last guy. So is this going to be the staff that is in Atlanta, representing the Western Division Championship, i.e., they beat Alabama uh, half the time? two out of five years is is that staff going to do that I don't know I really don't know uh, and it's not like Auburn hadn't been recruiting well JC I mean it, they always seem to be in that heralded top 25 right and recruiting oh, yeah. they, have, they have ball players at Auburn I mean it's, yeah um... so so what are these guys going to do differently What's going to be that gets them over the, and that's not me even saying you shouldn't have fired Gus. I have no opinion on that. Like I get it. It, it, It's, it's a pressure cooker job. If if you don't like that, then don't take the Auburn job in the first place. If you're Tom Herman, you win 64% of the games and you're fired at Austin. Well, you shouldn't have taken that job in the first place because that's a mess over there in Austin. And, and you got 50 different people with million uh, millionaire backgrounds that think they should be running stuff. And if they don't like it, you're out. Um, and by the way, one more thing on the Herman situation, I, I, I couldn't help but laugh. I don't know if it was a tweet or somebody on one of the shows saying, well, you know, Tom was, was really rough on the players and that kind of did him in at the end. He, he just didn't see eye to eye with the players. Well, guess what? Charlie Strong was a swell guy to the players. Got a reputation as a player's coach. Players love them some Charlie Strong. And they didn't win 64% of the games. They started losing to teams like Kansas and getting boat raced by anybody that was good in the Big 12, and they fired him too. There's something that's wrong in Austin, and it goes above and beyond how nice or sweet the coach is to the players. That that's a whole other can of worms. Um, so, I, you know, again, and I don't want to say I'm just to circle back one last time, then I'll I'll put a lid on this. I'm not down on the hires of Harson, Bobo, or Mason. Uh, I, th- I they all made sense to me. I, I knew Mason was going to be hired as a coordinator somewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, not, uh, Mike Bobo, obviously, if he didn't take this job, he'd be at South Carolina. And the Harson, you said everything that that makes sense about Harson and why he was a strong candidate. I just don't know if that that tripod, if you will, is going to do 
more than what Gus Malzahn just did and got fired for it in short order. So it'll be interesting to see. Yeah, uh, it's uh, definitely one of those things. Uh, you, you know, and, and I think, you know, and I, and I tell South Carolina fans this too, you know, because there's all this talk about the, 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 the coaching search there. And, and I'll tell you this, you know, even though Shane Beamer lost Mike Bobo and Will Friend to Auburn after kind of he had hired them, I, I think Shane Beamer's doing it right at South Carolina with his staff. Um, they're, they're not going the – SEC experience route. And I think, I think at some schools, you got to be a little different. And so, uh, totally agree that that's, and, that, and that's, that's, a, that's a subject for another time really. But, you know, going through all that, you know, in, in what Carolina fans, you know, cause Carolina is unique because they had the 16 and a half years with Holtz and Spurrier, you know, you, you basically have one realistic coaching search and it ends in must champ. And so people are a little, you know, freaked out right now, you know, if they don't go get a big name coach and, you know, the, the point is calm down. It's the SEC. You hire a guy, and if three or four years, if it's not working out, or, or five years, or however long you fire him and you hire somebody else. Well, That's how just many times did Steve Spurrier change his staff the first five years in Columbia? Oh, yeah, assistant coach-wise and all that. So, I mean, it, it's not that, – that's just – you know, and that's the same way with Brian Harson or, you know, right. whoever else gets a job. You know, you hire them. You don't know. Yeah, you, you hope they do something well, and and they're always on the clock. You're on the clock when it comes to, uh, you know, coaching in this league. And and if you don't work, it doesn't work out. Then you fire them and move on. And and some places, I think, Mike, uh, and transitioning to to Knoxville, uh, and that's who I'm, I'm talking about now. Some places kind of have been a little too quick, to be honest. Yeah. Um, well, let's get into that. But. And it's cat it's catching up to him. I think it'll catch yeah. up to him over the years. Uh, yeah, but, I mean, I just to to add to your your last point, I think I, I mean, obviously in a perfect world, right? Everybody would have Bud Foster, Frank Beamer, you know, be together for 20 years. Bobby Bowden, Mickey Andrews be together for 20. Years. You know, you'd love that continuity. Uh Joe Paterno had that at Penn State. Uh well, we won't go down the <laughs> specific uh, things that went wrong there but but yeah you, you ideally you'd love to have continuity in your staff but in reality it's a churn them and burn them business when mm -hmm. it comes to coordinators because you can get rid of them they don't have huge buyouts most of them and you just you just find another one they're, they're always out there and it doesn't set your program back every time you fire a coach it sets your program back firing a coordinator is a blip on the radar screen so i agree like i mean that's just a lot of that is trial and error. I mean, coaches don't want to admit that, but a lot of putting together the staff and the coordinators is simply trial and error, and you hope to get it right more often than you get it wrong, but you're not going to be keeping the same staff long. It's just it's not the way it works in college football. Sure. All right, you led to the uh, – <laughs> oh, goodness. Uh, we <laughs> – we just can't get away from talking Tennessee on this podcast. So we've no, been doing it now. Yeah. Right? So you and I started this the, the year that that was that they got rid of Champions of Life, who's now got himself a head coaching job after going through the uh, happy ending halfway house. It is an Alabama analyst role. And I was stealing that from Rick Neuheisel as well. Um, <laughs> we, we were doing it and, and, Tennessee went through the most horrendous, sloppy, 
complicated, convoluted, um, confusing at times, ambiguous coaching search in the history maybe of big time college football. And what it ended on was a changing of the AD to the proud son, Phil Fulmer, and a hire that most people seem to applaud at the time. They might not admit it now, but the same people that are doing everything come hell or high water to get rid of Jeremy Pruitt uh, were praising that hire and saying, thank goodness we didn't rue the day we kept Greg Schiano, that no good bum that doesn't belong coaching mighty Tennessee in the SEC. And they landed on Jeremy Pruitt, who is the very definition of an SEC, I don't want to say retread, but he's been around the block and he's been a part of success. And of course, he's part of the saving tree at Alabama. And last year they beat, they go on a winning streak. They beat a bunch of fairly bad teams in the process. And then this year it's Tennessee is on the rise and they barely beat tennis uh, Carolina in week one. And then quickly after that, they go and just completely face plant. So here we are now. And you've got a lot of sources on this and I know your, your company 24 seven obviously has a, an outlet, but what's the one in, in Knoxville called? What, what is that? The go Vols 24-7. Oh, well, that's simple enough. Yeah, pretty yeah, easy. Is it right there. Go Vols 24-7. So I'm sure they've got people on this and you, you are able to access them and talk to them one way or another. Here's what I've heard, uh, just as random guy on the outside, that it seems pretty obvious that there is a faction at Tennessee that is trying to be able to fire Jeremy Pruitt with cause to avoid a rather exorbitant buyout and make a move. That's not my uh, opinion. That's just what I'm reading and seeing and hearing. Uh, is that what you have been able to compile from your sources? Yeah, that's basically it. It's just, uh, it's one of those things where it's perilous, but you know, co coming out of nowhere today, uh, the Kevin Steele thing, I mean, <laughs> right. What is that all about? Wow, because, you know, you keep hearing, well, this is going to go down, this is going to go down. Here's the thing. Tennessee makes a move. That's going to be six coaches in 14 years. Unreal. <laughs> and and you, you do have a rather lengthy champions of life stretch from 13 to 17 <laughs> with Butch Jones. Um and, and, you know, quite frankly, I mean, Butch had a disastrous final season. And, and sometimes when you're late in your tenure, when it goes south in year five, you, you're not going to survive that. But, you know, Kiffin was gone after one, Dooley after three, Pruitt would be three and done. I, mean, I, I don't know. You know, I, I think it's uh, – I don't think there's much good that the, the Jeremy Pruitt era has accomplished besides – you know, they're, they're, they've been good at beating South Carolina the last two years, and they did go on that winning streak against uh, some, um, you know, some teams that were, yeah, just Let's sort of stuff. They, they, they beat Carolina, they beat Kentucky, they beat Missouri, they beat Indiana, which I think was probably their best win in the, in the Gator the Bowl. Game. And they came back and won, and then they opened 2-0 and this year. And then the bottom fell out. So other than that stretch – where they had the, I think the, I don't think it was the longest winning streak in the country. Actually, other than that stretch, they've been pretty awful. I mean, everything from getting blown out by Vandy when you could have reached a bowl in year one to the Georgia State and BYU losses 
to not being within 21 points of like hardly anybody this year. I mean, it, it's been ugly. I mean, it, it, if you look at the the majority, you know, that one stretch notwithstanding of the of the Jeremy Pruitt era, it's it's been much uglier than Derek Dooley's three years, much uglier than than than, than Butch Jones. Um, you know, so I, I don't I don't know. You know, I, I think that uh, it is interesting. Um, you know, I, I think there's some coaches out there that would make Tennessee fans happy right now. Um, but do you do that? Do you, do you sit there and go, all right, well, that's the answer to yet again change coaches? Or, or do we think that, you know, that Pruitt with some help and, and, and a couple more recruiting classes would turn it back in the right direction? So you're, are you thinking this is a 50-50 proposition right now? As we sit here on January the twelfth, and I would have, I would have told you, and I think I did in the lost archives. You, you go back and, and find it. I, I thought there was a much better chance until what I saw today. You think the Kevin Steele hire is a sign of well, they maybe, might be, yeah, maybe the they're gonna, you. they're gonna, but down and keep. And what's also kind of bizarre about the whole thing, Mike, is that. When it came down to it, after Fulmer took over the the search, you remember because they they were like, "Nah, if you, you know, trying to hire Mike Leach was the last straw," you know, <laughs> which makes no sense. And so then they come, and Fulmer's final two were Pruitt and Kevin Steele. When Kevin Steele was in the men, and there were times during that search, as we were following it closely, where it looked like they may bring Kevin Steele, who's a a Tennessee graduate who went, you know, graduate, he's a Vol, Vol at heart, looked like they were going to bring him home. I mean, it actually looked like that. And so now you got the guy who was number two for the job joining your staff when you're kind of in a perilous situation. And at Auburn, you know, there was a reason Kevin Steele was said to be the leader in the clubhouse because he had kind of, you know, endeared himself to some boosters and uh, dare I say, you know, maybe, maybe thrown some people under the bus a little bit. Maybe he's just being honest. I don't know. You know, so it's just kind of interesting that you have now this, this, this situation that involves Kevin Steele, Philip Fulmer, and Jeremy Pruitt at Tennessee, and it just but you left out the best part. He's not even being hired as a coordinator. They've got Derek Ansley. He is being hired basically as a, a, a run-of-the-mill assistant. Yep, you're just you're just there just in ca- in case. <laughs> I mean, you're not even calling the defense. Not right. He's just there, just just in case. I don't. I, I mean, I, I'm 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 surprised. I'm very very surprised uh, that that. I mean, that to me, it's just like wow. I just don't. You know, I don't funny. think you know with with Phil Fulmer already representing. You know, you've already got the feel good alumni story there. I don't think the fact that you've got you hired a guy who graduated in like eighty one, eighty two, I think, at Tennessee. Uh, as a, as an assistant is going to give a, a, a case of the warm and fuzzies to volunteer nation. Here's what I think also is at play. It, 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 you, you can never ignore the fact 
Tennessee has been burnt by this a number of times already. And I'm not piling on Tennessee because they're not the only ones. How many times have I made this point? There's entirely too many fan bases and fans out there that think they can just get whoever the hell they want as a head coach when an opening is there. Oh, but we got this, this, this. Yeah, well, so do they. Oh, but they got that and then and then this as well. Um, Tennessee fans know they've seen they've been down this path before, and I'm sure some people in authority have been down this path before where they know they can't just get whoever they want. Now, the darling son for almost every SEC fan base during the last uh, uh, offseason here, or really the end of the season, as we all know, has been Hugh Freeze. And to my knowledge, unless it's been really well hidden, Hugh Freeze hasn't been a finalist for any job opening this year. No. That tells me there's some things at play that make it nearly impossible for a school to hire him now. Maybe 2021, the end of 2021, is a different story. But I think Tennessee fans, a lot of them that, that were so gung-ho on getting rid of Pruitt, we're assuming that Hugh Freeze will be the guy. I mean, because after all, Auburn didn't hire him and South Carolina didn't hire him and Texas didn't hire him. This is our chance. I'm just reading the tea leaves here and I don't think that's going to be the case. You know, if for some reason Pruitt does not survive, I, I just have a weird feeling it's not going to be Hugh Freeze. And then, I mean, is your fan base jump for joy over Billy Napier? Um what name is out there that the fan base is going to be elated about? As you mentioned, the incredible turnover they've already had. Uh, no matter who walks into that job, by the way, what are you walking into? You don't have an established quarterback. Your numbers are thin at multiple positions. Um, there's been a little bit of toxicity in the air, let's just say in Knoxville. So yeah. this is not a job. It's like turnkey. You're going to go in there and save the day and, and win eight, nine games in year one. No, I, I, I think, you know, and there's a lot of speculation. John Adams from the Knoxville News Sentinel speculating that Steele was added because the Pruitt era is coming to an end. Um, makes sense is if, if they have no intention of keeping Pruitt as the head coach. And, and you know, so there's all kinds of speculation out of Knoxville as to why this is happening. And, and here's my best guess, you know, because – Steele was a finalist, you know, here's what you do. You, you keep, you keep Pruitt another year, you bring him back, but then, you know, cause you say, well, in a non COVID year, he had us, you know, back in a bowl, we won the Gator bowl, whatever, you know, and, and, and look, it's been a COVID year, Tennessee again, to me, they got kind of screwed by the sec with the schedule, you know, you got, your non-conference games next year at UT. Uh, right now, there's three scheduled: Bowling Green, Pitt, and South Alabama. So, eh, you know, that's manageable. Um, you know, your, your rotating opponent from the West is Ole Miss, but they come to Knoxville. You know, so, so you've got a schedule to where if you can kind of put it together, you can have success. And you know, they they, they are still recruiting really well. Um, and you add those folks in and, and, and maybe you turn it around. If not, let's say they lose to Pitt at home in week two on September 11th, then you just fire him after two games and you've got your, your interim head coach sitting there. And so, 
that's probably the line of thinking. I, you know, I would be very surprised if this were Jeremy Pruitt's idea, unless unless he's just trying to be so much like Nick Saban, like hiring all the good coaches he can get or whatever. But but to me, Nick Saban could do that because he's got job security for life. Right. Right. right? And he's not going to be intimidated by anybody coming in there. Nick Saban's not going to be Wally Pipped. Yeah. In a situation like this, I just, I just, I don't know who would have thought this would have been a great idea, uh, you know, considering, you know, the hot seat talk. Uh, <laughs> it's the gift that keeps on giving. I mean, Tennessee football is just the gift that, that keeps on giving. If, if you're one of the beat reporters there and the beat, I mean, you're never bored. You're never bored. You got a, you got a, a really good basketball program right now, a baseball program on the rise and you got a football program that always produces headlines one way or another. They are, they are producing headlines on the reg in Knoxville. Hey, before we uh, hit on some final subjects here, do you want to mention with the new year, gosh, there could not be a better time. Uh, you don't know how much longer these interest rates are going to stay around folks. There's a lot of changes coming down the pike. And if you want to get the lowest, I know a lot of people say that eh, we got lower, the lowest, this is why I've gone to this man four times. Doesn't matter where I live. I still keep going back to him. Stuart Wingo of Ameris Mortgage is the guy. Not only is he going to save you thousands of dollars, he's great to work with. He actually explains things to you in a way that you know why you're getting a good deal and why he was able to get you such a, a good mortgage or a good refi, whatever the case may be. One simple phone number. This is the best gift I can give anybody in 2021. 803-319-1777. Again, it doesn't matter what state you're listening to us on the podcast. Chances are he is uh, certified and able to help you with uh, a phone call or two. And that doesn't take a whole lot of time, to be honest with you. 803-319-1777. That's Stuart Wingo of Ameris Mortgage. Any final thoughts, JC, on what... Uh, we're going to be back, and I want to remind everybody this is not goodbye for us. Uh, we've been doing this a long time now, and we know that the offseason uh, is sometimes is just as uh, entertaining and interesting as the regular season. You remember I started one of our podcasts where I talked about all the different things that have um, – kind of led the way in storylines this year and and none of them were i'll tell you what we got to do something about that targeting rule um it was it was less about the games and it was more about what happened off the field it was more about the the debacle of kevin warren's handling of the big 10 it was more about the pac 12s growing irrelevance the acc adding notre dame for one year and and all likelihood only one year florida state seemingly ducking clemson in a game byu and coastal carolina having a a bumble date like game at the last uh, moment, which turned out to be one of the games of the year. Uh, Urban Meyer and would he, would he actually come to Texas? No. Would Auburn finally fire Gus? Yes. All these things kind of led the storylines of college football more so than, boy, did you see that fantastic upset on Saturday? Or can you believe Cincinnati's going to make the playoff? Because at the end of the day, as we started off this podcast with, there was a lot of predictability again. Yeah, I, I think so. It, it, it was, it wasn't, it wasn't. And I'll tell you this, Mike, you know, my, my, my final thought on all this is I, I'm, I'm, 
I, I honest to God sat there and, and we talked and I said, well, I don't, you know, you can play it without the fans. That's fine. You know, you're going to have to make some sacrifices. And I think we were all fine with that, but I, I quite frankly, it was sad to not see a packed house in, in Miami. Yeah. Um, and, and, it, and, and that part of it, it wore on me more as the season went on. Mm-hmm. Like it didn't bother me at the beginning. I was like, it's great. We have football. I'm just glad they're playing, but it started wearing on me more and more and more and more and more and to where I got, just got to the point where I was like, you know, when we got a championship weekend, I was like, this just sucks. <laughs> um, and then seeing last night in Miami, you know, during the pregame, you, you saw some fans make their way into the seats and you're kind of looking at it and you're like, well, that's going to be it. That's the whole crowd. <laughs> you know, that's the right. whole kid and caboodle. And you've got to pipe in the Ohio state band from uh, Columbus, you know, and, and it, it just, it's just, it just, that, that part of it, I didn't think it would bother me as much as it did, but it did. As the year went on, it did bother me. I hope that, you know, uh, in our country over the next six months, the vaccine gets out and that we put this crap completely behind us. Um, and, and next year, you, you're going to see the pageantry that, that yeah. makes this sport so great back uh, and, 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 and better than ever. Um, Amen you know, to that. And, and that, that's, that's kind of my closing thought about it. As far as what happened on the field, yeah, it ended up being predictable, I think. You know, I, I think if you're if you're like Clemson, you're sitting there kind of wondering, like, you know, Ohio State. You know, they what if they hadn't played their season? You know, would, would we have had a shot at this Alabama team? Could we have matched up a little better? You know, that type of thing. I, I think that I think what's interesting too. You know, we we often don't talk about Brian Kelly at Notre Dame enough. Um, and I know Notre Dame when they get into the point where they just they can't compete against teams with, you know, that are better than them. I don't know that this year's Alabama team is a very good point of comparison. But if you think about it, man, Brian Kelly's led Notre Dame to a BCS championship game and two playoff appearances since he's been there. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I think since Lou Holtz, he's been the most successful coach the irises have had but i actually think that it may be time to start you know talking about is is he more accomplished than lou holtz i mean he hasn't won one at all like lou did in 88 but uh he's played with more you know on the line i think over a longer stretch of time than lou did um and so i think it's time for notre dame folks to maybe start talking about him being I know you got to win that national title there, but I I, th- I think he's one of the best coaches. He's at least the best they've had since Lou, but but I, I think he may end up being one of the better Notre Dame coaches of all time. And we just don't talk about it enough. Well, I'm I mean I'm I'm with you. I'm a Brian Kelly guy. Um, I think uh, you know there was a time it felt like he was on the hot seat every other year. That's ridiculous. Uh, no one since Lou, and Lou did not end well at South Bend, if you remember. Um, he was put th- shown the door for a reason, but no, it's a different climate. You know, back then, again, there was only a select amount of schools that were ever on national television, and now everybody is. And so, the the allure to Notre Dame, it, it's 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 dwindled, or, or or should I say, it's been spread out to more schools. So that inherent advantage of being able to tell Johnny. And Johnny's mom, that you're going to get to watch your son every week on TV. I can get the same thing at uh, 
Louisiana Monroe in, in many cases between TV and the internet and everything else. So uh, I think Notre Dame is a much more difficult job. I think Notre Dame's day and age of, of having the type of talent you need to actually win a national championship is, is done. Um, I don't wish that, but I just see it every time they play in a big game and they play teams with that kind of speed on the perimeter. Again, Notre Dame looks great coming off the bus because they've always got big dudes and they got NFL tight ends and they've been able to get NFL wide receivers. Uh, but if you watch them trying to stop faster teams as they get to the, you know, the so-called final four, what have you, they just, it's not, they're not losing because of bad coaching or scheming on Kelly's part. There's clearly a difference in speed on the field when you watch Notre Dame in those games. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I think, Look, what I'll miss, the, the Notre Dame part of the equation, what I'll miss is that Notre Dame, for my money, should be in the ACC. Uh, Notre Dame should be in a conference. It'd be better for Notre Dame. It would be better for the ACC. It would be better for college football. Uh, you can't convince Notre Dame fans of that. Uh, I went to high school with a proud Notre Dame alum who now lives in Russia. And if you start trying to sell him on joining a conference, he'll tell you to kick rocks. We're Notre Dame. And that's fine. Uh, he's got every right to do that. Notre Dame fans, you, you're going to get what you want. You're going to be that independent. But don't don't blame me for not caring about your regular season as much because you're not playing Clemson in a, in a championship game type environment uh, to win a league and, and get into a playoff. So that's that's unfortunate. Other takeaways, um, you know, other positives, the, the fact that we've got a little more variety now in the SEC. I mean, it, it, for a while there, it just felt like Georgia, Alabama, LSU wins a title last year. Florida goes to Atlanta this year. Texas A&M is clearly on the rise under Jimbo Fisher. Um, there, there's 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 more variety now. We're, we're getting some. We're actually getting some races for the where we can't just sit there and fill out who's going to be in Atlanta every year and be right more times than not. I think that's a, a good sign. Uh, group five. This was the year for Group Five to shine, and they did. I know Cincinnati lost on a last second 53 yard field goal. If they don't lose their left tackle uh, on, a, on a targeting penalty, I think they win that game and they beat Georgia, a motivated Georgia team. Um, Cincinnati proved that, that they belong in a lot of ways. So did Coastal. Uh, so did Liberty. I mean, those schools would never get the level of attention in a regular year that they did this year. And a lot of TV windows opened up for schools like that and conferences like CUSA and the Sun Belt that ordinarily would be um, relegated to a, a different time slot on a different network. This year they got that. I think that was that was good for the sport uh, overall. You know, it, the Pac-12. Who I'm trying to find a good story there. Um, I thought SC played pretty good. And, um, yeah. And then Oregon backing back into the title was a, that's their second straight Pac-12 championship. Yeah, so, but I mean, I, yeah. I, you know what? When they when they get a new TV deal, I'm gonna I'm gonna find some positive uh, outlook for the Pac-12. Until that point, it's uh, it's it's really hard. Uh, and you know what? Call me crazy. I'm glad Jim Harbaugh signed an extension. I think he's good for college football. I hope he can get it going. I think that would be good for college football. Um, and then, and how about Matt Campbell at Iowa State? Uh, just a tremendous story. Four consecutive winning years. 
and a Big 12 championship game appearance in his fifth uh, season at Ames, and he has said no to the NFL. $4 million goes a long way in Ames. Mm -hmm. It might not be $8 million in a major city, but it's $4 million in Ames, Iowa. I've been to Ames, Iowa. You can do a lot of fun stuff for you and your family and your friends and five generations of kids in Ames, Iowa on $4 million a year. So Matt Campbell is staying, and I, I think that's a great thing. Uh, and we'll see about, I don't think Dan Mullen's going to the NFL, quite frankly, but um, we'll keep uh, eyes on that. And I don't, Urban Meyer, Urban's not coming back to college, either he's going to the NFL or he's not. And for a lot of college football fans, quite simply, they don't care either you're going to be in college or you're not. So there, there's, there's my final thoughts on the 2020, 2021, the actual season. And we'll have plenty more on the off season each and every week on JC and Morgan.